0: Welcome back to another episode of The Wow, the podcast that will provide you with the tools you need to thrive in today's society. If you are new here, then hello, I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and if you've listened before, then welcome back. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work in the suicide prevention space in a marketing and communications role. I spend too much time socializing at the dog park with my lovely border collie Murphy and enjoy pizza on the couch with a glass of wine most Friday nights. But today we are breaking down the very real life matter of finances. As much as we love to ignore where the money in our bank account ends up, it is important that we learn some of the key concepts around managing finances and financial stability so that we can continue to thrive in today's money-driven world to help us understand more about this i sit down to speak with pretty jane from skilled smart if you enjoy today's episode then please remember to subscribe or click follow leave a review share it with your friends and if you haven't already then you better come join us on instagram at the wow podcast underscore Good morning, pretty. How are you today?
1: I'm well, Georgina. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so excited to chat to you today about finances and financial stability. But before we jump into everything, I just want to start by doing a quick acknowledgement of country so I'd like to start by acknowledging the Ngunnawal people, the traditional custodians of the land I reside on and the Wangal people of the country that you reside on up in Sydney. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners here today. So pretty, do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself for all of our listeners who aren't aware of what you do.
1: Yeah. So I am the founder of Skilled Smart, which is a financial education platform that I started a few years ago. And I guess just to like back up the story a little bit, um, I went to university and I studied like a Bachelor of Business and Law. And then when I was at university, I did this, I guess it was kind of like an internship at the Cancer Council. And a lot of people who are affected by cancer actually experience financial stress because cancer can be quite expensive. So I was on the phones every day talking to people about their financial problems. And you know, when you're kind of like young enough to still have this like naive idea that finance is something that adults just kind of figure out when they grow up, I was that age. And so I was like talking to adults of all ages who hadn't figured it out. And I think that was like a real wake up moment for me where I realized like oh there isn't some magical age where you just wake up and you haven't figured out like people of all ages are really still struggling with their money and then fast forward a couple of years into my own career when I started like fixing my own finances I remember actually there was a moment where I was trying to change super funds and I was like reading like what felt like textbooks worth of fine print with all of this jargon and it was super complicated. And I, I'd studied finance at university. So I'm sitting there thinking like, how do people do this? This is actually really overwhelming. This is insane. So I started, I started asking friends and colleagues and it just turned out that like, no one knew what they were doing. Like everyone was just winging it. And I think that really started this journey of, trying to figure out why is this such a big problem? Like money is something we use every single day of our lives. We need it to survive. We work our backsides off for it. And yet everyone's just walking around like with this kind of secret embarrassment. Like I don't really know what I'm doing and everyone knows more than me and should I have figured it out by now? And so that's when I started working with financial professionals to pull together, um, I guess, a more DIY program that people could do to kind of get their finances in order and that's what we've been doing for the last few years running that program. Mm.
0: I feel like it is just so relatable that feeling of yeah I when you're 16 and you're like god when I'm an adult hopefully I'll know what I'm doing and then you kind of get into your mid-20s and you're like oh shit I no one told me how to buy a house or how to buy shares or how to like grow your money save money um do all of this and yet that's how the world runs like we live in this capitalist world where money is the driving factor of life and um unfortunately none of us were taught kind of some of the key fundamental basics around it why did you decide to go into finance have you always had a keen interest in like money and numbers or was there a particular reason that you wanted to create a career out of this
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. Like, I mean, if I look back and I connect the dots, um, I think there was like, I read, you know, my first finance book that I ever read was rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which was a game changing book for me. And I read it when I was quite young, actually. Um, but I wouldn't say I was into finance or finance nerd by any stretch of the imagination. I never really envisioned myself working in the finance industry. I think what really, um, what really kind of catapulted me into this specific space was seeing how big a need there was, right? Like what I discovered was financial advice, especially in Australia and a lot of developed countries is really expensive, costs thousands of dollars. Only about 15% of the population work with a financial advisor. And it just seemed like it was mind boggling to me. I was like, how can money be something that we need for our survival? We need it to live. And yet we're not given a day's worth of education about what to do with it. And, you know, it, it affects so many social issues, like whether it's homelessness or depression or mental health, or, you know, um, it's, it's a leading cause of conflict in relationships. So it affects so many areas of our life. And I just thought it was, I just thought it was abysmal. I thought it was shocking that like, we just don't have something that's more accessible. Um, I saw it as a massive problem. And it was an area that I was personally interested in. Like I I wanted to get my money sorted. I wanted to, you know, build wealth. And I kind of had some stuff sorted, but there was a lot that I still didn't know. And I was like, why is it so hard to figure this out? It should be easier. So it was a bit of a personal problem. And I saw that being reflected in the wider society is a massive problem. And I just thought that I I could do something to fix it. So I think that's kind of the combination of that personal interest and seeing a massive need out there uh, became something that I was very passionate about helping people fix. Mm.
0: And it's almost as if Like for some time now, I've definitely noticed a change in the last couple of years with the language and educational tools around money in terms of breaking that down so that people of all... um, I want to say levels of education can understand it. Like whether you have a tertiary education, just a secondary education, or whether, you know, you you didn't end up finishing high school, that you can understand the language that is spoken about around money. Because I think traditionally, it's been something that has excluded such a large number of the population because they've used such technical language in terms of describing it, in terms of talking about it, which means that there is such a large number of us that aren't privy to that conversation just out of the fact that, you know, unfortunately we can't understand or comprehend what the hell they're saying, which is how I feel when people talk about finances. Cause I'm just like money and numbers to me, like, no, I'm creative mind. That's why I work in marketing. That's why I run a podcast. And so numbers, I'm like, that just does not go through my head properly. So it's so great to get people like yourself that I just, really creating such a open network and such opportunity for people to understand and to have that kind of power over their own finances, I think is just so wonderful. So yeah, well, well done to you. <laughs>
1: oh, thank you. And I look, I a hundred percent agree. I think language is such an interesting thing. And I think historically it has been massively overcomplicated and, you know, I, 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 so I studied, I did a law degree at university as well. And, you know, um, coming from a profession that loves, you know, sentences as long as paragraphs and unnecessarily long words, I'm very familiar with industries that use a lot of jargon. And, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of the finance jargon is just not necessary. And I think, you know, sometimes we fall into the trap of using big words to make ourselves feel good and important and intellectual and above other people. But in reality, like the way that I describe it to people is like, you don't need to be a doctor to know how to manage your health well, right? Like you need to be a doctor to be a doctor, but you don't need like the everyday person. You don't need a medical degree to learn how to manage your own health well. And it's the same with finance. You don't need a finance degree. You don't need... To be great at maths, you don't need any of that technical stuff. To be good with money on a day-to-day basis,
0: mm, I really love that analogy. That's actually a really good one. So we're going to be discussing a little bit more around achieving financial stability. So I'm curious to know, um, pretty, what's your definition of financial stability, and is this uh, is this is it important to be financially stable? Like, does it matter? whether or not we do end up becoming
1: financially stable? Yeah, it's such an interesting question because I think a lot of people have different definitions of financial stability. And I think, you know, when I was thinking about this, I don't think it's a number. I think there are certain elements that make up financial stability. If I think about, if I reflect on the people that I've worked with, and I think one element is the emotional and psychological component because you can earn a lot of money and still be under a lot of financial stress. So simply asking the question, how peaceful do you feel with your financial situation? Do you sleep well at night? I think that is something that we don't talk enough about. We talk a lot about the money and the numbers but you know, I know people who have multiple six-figure salaries and they still have a lot of financial stress. So I think psychological and emotional, um, peace of mind is a part of financial stability. I think the second element that I think is really key to financial stability is control over your cash flow, which is basically money coming in, money going out. And I think unless you have some element of control or confidence over money coming in, money coming out, you will experience financial anxiety because you'll always feel like, I don't know where the money's going, like. Is it it's enough? Just, do I have? There's enough? a leakage in my bank account, and it's just falling out, and I do not yeah. know how or where. Yeah, it comes in and disappears. Like, you know, you're always going to have that financial anxiety, and so I think developing the skill, and it is just a skill. That's all it is. It's not something technical. It's just, it's just something that you can practice, like riding a bike. But developing that control over cash flow is a really, really important and foundational element to financial stability, and then. I think a third and really important element is the level of financial buffers or protection that you have. So asking yourself the question for crisis work to occur tomorrow, whether it's, you know, losing a job or getting sick, how long could you survive for financially? And that conversation can include financial protections like insurances, but it can also start to include the conversation around building wealth and investing in assets, because ultimately, assets are a form of, you know, um, financial security in the sense that if you can't depend on a job, then you can start to depend on your assets for either income or financial, you know, wealth. And so I think those three elements, if you can kind of ask yourself, you know, um, do your finances keep you up at night? Do you have control over your cash flow? And what kind of, buffers do you have in place? If a crisis were to occur tomorrow, how long could you survive? That's going to start to help you understand how far along you are on that journey to financial stability. And to the question of, is it important? You know, I think I think there's a narrative that we like to kind of tell ourselves that our oh, money's not that important or we don't want to acknowledge the place that money has in our life. And I think it can feel like money's shallow and I don't really want to think about it or it's too materialistic but the reality is that we need money to live we need money to survive and as long as you're living in a situation of financial instability it's going to cause stress and so i do think it's important for every human on the face of the planet to be financially secure and i think everyone deserves that it's interesting
0: I mean, your discussion around fi- financial stability and how that can be different for everyone. I mean, I suppose you're right. Like, if you look at, even f- for example, me, and you, my idea of what. Comp- like what makes up financial stability might be a completely different number um, to what makes up financial stability for you and in terms of your livelihood your expectations um your lifestyle all of those different things probably make up a very much different numbers um to to what you see as the right amount to become financially stable than the person standing next to you so On that I feel like especially for a lot of women in their 20s we're in this space where we're like yes okay we need to work on our finances we've acknowledged that we've acknowledged that it's important to have we've acknowledged that the fact that we haven't been taught about it it's been a conversation where traditionally women haven't been a part of and we're wanting to change that and work on it but in achieving financial stability it often feels as though we can't enjoy the other finer things in life. I can't have my smashed avo and coffee if I want to achieve financial stability or whatever that might look like. I feel that sometimes it feels like it's one or the other. You can't have both, you know, it's, it's, you either have the money and you have that nice bank account and you have that nice asset being shares or a house or whatever that might look like, or you get to go out and have the nice dinners, you have the nice wardrobe and you socialize and do all of that kind of stuff. I feel like there is very much, you can't have both. So I want to know, can you save money without having to deprive yourself?
1: (laughs) Yes. I love this conversation because I don't believe in that kind of deprivation mindset. And I think It's it's so funny because a lot of our students who come through our program, they do have that fear that, oh, my God, I'm going to have to give up something or I'm going to have to, like, deprive myself and live this, like, beans on toast lifestyle. And I just don't think that's true. And I think the reason I think that it is possible is, one, because I've seen hundreds of students do it. But what we teach is and what I, I like to kind of advocate for is something that I call having a spending ethos. And it is kind of like a guiding principle. And I think to get to that kind of spending ethos, what I talk about is getting really clear on what is important to you. What do you value? What do you derive joy from? What lights you up, right? And once you get really clear on that, what I notice is inevitably, when you get clear on the stuff that lights you up, the stuff that's important to you, And then you put that side-by-side with your spending, you will automatically start to see where is your spending not in alignment with the things that are important to you. And when you see that, you will be like, oh, like, I actually don't care that much about spending that much money on, I don't know, like clothes. I care more about spending money on avocado and eating out and whatever, right? And then you kind of get to really immediately identify what I call low value spending, right? The spending that doesn't actually add a lot of value to you, but you just do it because it's there or you just do it because you don't have a better intentionality for your spending. And then what ultimately ends up happening is once you start to kind of use your spending ethos as the guiding principle for your spending you're still spending on the stuff that matters a lot to you and that lights you up, that brings you joy, that makes you happy. But you're eliminating a lot of that low value spending. And I'll give you an example. Like we had um, one of our students, Bianca, she, she was an overspender. She could never kind of take control of her spending. And she was in, in like about 10 grand of debt. And when she did this exercise, she kind of realized, hey, the things that I really care about are like travel i really want a property and there were a couple of other things and when she married that up with her spending she was like oh wow like i spend a ton of money on clothes just because that's it like just because right like i buy five of like you know the same t-shirt in different colors just just because i can and when she kind of married up and got really clear on what she loves and what makes her super happy she didn't feel the need to go spend that extra stuff and that kind of automatically curbed her spending without feeling like she was depriving herself of any anything so I think that's really the key is like can you get really clear on what you love spending money on and then kind of forget about the rest.
0: Mm. So really I really like that because I feel like It's something that we can all do when we get to the checkout of wherever it is or before we get to that clothing store or before we go out for dinner. You know, it's, is this something that is going to light me up and really make me happy? Or am I going to wake up in the morning and regret having spent, you know, $200 on a dinner? If you're going to regret it, then maybe cook dinner at home with your friends, or maybe it's okay. I'm not going to get like dessert and an entree. I'm just going to get like, you know, a small main so I can still go out and enjoy myself, but I'm not going to have like the whole lavish dinner because, you know, that just, it doesn't really bother me, the food stuff. I feel like It's often a question that you just ignore because you're too scared to ask yourself whether it's worth spending the money or not, that you just kind of shut your eyes and spend it. So I really like that disrupting the pattern and kind of forcing yourself to acknowledge it and really think about your spending before it happens. So you can make up your mind on where that sits and so that you can hopefully end up, you know, squirreling a little bit more money away on the unnecessary purchases that you do make.
1: Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting point that you raised because I think it's true that we're often too scared to ask ourselves the question, right? We're mm. often too scared to look at what really does bring me joy? Why am I spending this money? Am I just spending it because I feel social pressure to go yeah, out? Yeah, trying
0: to keep up right? with everyone else. Or do else. I mm. or like
1: to keep up with the Joneses or to like show people that I've been on this beautiful holiday? Or like, why do I feel like actually? Remember, there was a phase in my twenties where everyone was going to Europe. Obviously, this was pre-COVID, and I just felt all of this immense pressure to be go like, to Europe, to, get to Europe, to show everybody that I've gone to Europe. And I got like really, I, I really sat down with myself and I was like, why? Like, why do I want to go to Europe? Is it just because every all of my friends are going to Europe? And that's really what it was. Like, I didn't have a specific desire to go to Europe. I just wanted. It was really fun, It was really. You wanted the
0: picture in front of the Eiffel Tower, so that you know you're. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to go.
1: I wanted to come back and be able to like chat with my friends about like where they went in Europe and I'd been there too and blah blah blah. And when I got clear on that, and I really asked myself, like, actually, you know what, my personal priorities don't line up with that right now. Like, it wasn't a priority for me at that point. And. Then what I was I was able to give myself permission to do was I went on a really nice trip to Bali instead, which was way cheaper. I still had a ton of fun, but I was able to save a lot more money for the thing that was a priority at the time, which was for me personally, quitting my job and starting a business. And so it's really about, once you get clear on what your spending ethos is, what what's important to you, why you're spending that money, um, it helps you just prioritize better and get really real with yourself about why you're spending the money that you're spending.
0: Mm, I like that. This leads in nicely to the next question, because unfortunately some spending habits can put us in a situation where we're spending more money than we actually have, uh, causing some lovely little debt to occur. So in terms of debt, I want to know how much of an impact can debt have in trying to achieve financial stability and a financially stable lifestyle? And do you have maybe three of your best recommendations on how we can become debt free if we are in a situation where there's maybe a little bit too much on that credit card?
1: Yeah. So look, debt is on two levels on a, on a, like, purely just an emotional level it causes a lot of stress for people right so that's one big reason to just get rid of debt as soon as possible but the second bigger picture from a financial perspective debt spent on what is called consumption spending so not assets but things that are just lifestyle purchases whether it's eating out or holidays or clothing debt debt that has been spent on that stuff does not build your wealth and therefore, it, it, if you kind of split it like a line down the middle, it's debt that costs you money. It's not debt that makes you money. Debt that makes you money would be things like property or assets that build wealth over time. So financially, it's not the healthiest thing to have. It's, it's an unhealthy thing to have. And then emotionally, it's an unhealthy thing for a lot of people because it can cause a lot of stress. So there are a couple of tips that I want to share, which I've seen work really well for our students. Um, The first is a purely tactical thing. It's know where your money is going. And this is one of the hardest things for a lot of people because most of us don't wanna look at our bank accounts. We don't wanna look at where our spending is going and it can be a real reality check. But one of the best things that you can ever do to start your financial journey is go print out the last one to two months worth of bank statements and credit card statements, get out a highlighter, and pen, and then just put all your spending in like 10 to 15 different categories, and then add it up and see where did the money go? How much money did you spend on food? How much money did you spend on clothes? How much money did you spend on entertainment or social or whatever? And it's going to be, it's, it's, it is confronting for a lot of people, but just remember that the fact that you're doing that exercise is in and of itself progress. And so you should congratulate yourself for doing it, right? Like that's a win. And so that knowing where your money is going is a massive game changer for so many of our students because then they can see where they need to change and where they can change and where there is opportunity to start culling some of that low value spending. So that's tip number 1. Tip number 2 is going back to what I was saying is getting really clear on what do you love spending money on? And then when you go through that list of what you've spent money on, you're going to see how much of your spending is on stuff that you may not really care about or what some people called mindless spending, right? Like it's just there and you're just out with friends and why not, right? And then you can start to really start that journey of maximizing spending on things that you love and eliminating spending on things that don't even make a difference to you. So that's this tip number two. And tip number three that I've got is more around the psychology side of it. So take out a piece of paper and write down all of your childhood experiences around debt. What you want to do is get clear on what does debt and overspending mean to you. What I mean by this is a lot of our money lessons were accumulated basically between the ages of zero and about 10 to 15, right? And so I, for example, grew up in a household where debt was seen as a really bad thing. So I was really scared of debt my whole life. In fact, I probably still am, right? And that meant that I I never put myself in a position to even have a credit card because I was so scared of taking on debt. But the flip side is that a lot of people grow up in households where maybe debt was normal or maybe spending every dollar they had was normal or maybe, you know, borrowing money for a car or, you know, um, a holiday or a wedding was normal. And if it's normal, you don't question it. You're just like, oh, well, it's normal, right? A little bit of debt's normal. And so really getting clear on what are your beliefs around debt? Have you normalized it? Did you see that growing up? Did you see that it was okay? Like getting clear on why is it that debt is something that I feel okay having or that I put myself in a position to have? What are the beliefs around that? What are the emotions around that? And then starting to shift the narrative into, can you start to feel more excited about accumulating assets? over accumulating stuff. And I think that light bulb for a lot of our students is really key when they realize that, oh, if I take that same spending behavior and just shift it towards assets instead of stuff, I could be really rich, right? I could, that could really build wealth. That becomes super exciting for them because they realize, hey, actually the stuff that I'm spending money on isn't building wealth for me. And then, if I buy, if I buy, if I just like pull away some money and start buying ETFs or shares, 10 years from now, I could be 10 times richer than I am today. And that shift of can you start to feel more excited about spending money on assets than spending money on stuff can be a real game changer in the way that you view money and wealth.
0: Mm. I'm really getting the idea that a lot of this does come back to self-reflection and choosing to look at your finances instead of ignoring it. I feel like, you know, it is just so common for the money to come in when we get paid every fortnight or month or whatever that cycle is. And to go, oh, my God, I have such a nice-looking bank account. And then when it all of a sudden disappears in a week's time and you don't get paid for another week, you're just like, oh, crap, okay, just ignore it, ignore the problem, and it will go away in a week's time when I get paid again. But so often we refuse to actually acknowledge what is going on? What is causing that problem? What is causing that leakage in our bank account that maybe we can stop, you know, put some sticky tape over. So we're building up our wealth instead of building it down. It just sounds like, you know, so often we refuse to look at it because we're so scared of what the answer is, but by actually looking at it, it's very much easy small things that we can do that can make a huge difference do you find that it's just that first step that that really big overwhelming step that people are just too scared to take but in taking it it just all kind of it is a lot easier once you get over that first initial frightening moment of actually looking at your finances
1: a thousand percent like Mm. for anyone who feels that way I want to assure you that Almost all of our students come in feeling that embarrassment, that shame, that dread, that anxiety, all of those really heavy emotions. So you're not alone. You're not alone when you feel those emotions. You feel that resistance. You feel like, I just don't want to look at it. It's such a common experience. And it's really just about when do you want to make that choice? Do you want to wait till you hit rock bottom? Do you want to wait another year? do you want to rip the bandaid off today or tomorrow or in six months? Because it's kind of like one of those wounds that fester, like you can just like let it fester and fester and fester, but ultimately there is going to come a point where you're just going to have to look at it and you'll be so much like, you will feel that relief on the other side. It's one of those, it's that cliche of there is no way, but through, and it feels really hard in the beginning because it feels overwhelming and confronting and scary. But the other side, once you start to deal with it, you do feel that lightness and you feel like, oh my gosh, I get this. And it's not that hard. And, you know, I'm making these small wins and it can be really, really, really exciting. Mm. I've got some actually
0: listener questions from people that have sent in for you. So the
1: first one is from
0: Selena and she has a bit of debt, but... Good debt, as we've spoken on before. She has a mortgage, but she wants to know how can she
1: pay it off as fast as possible. Yeah, nice. So when it comes to any form of debt, really, there's only two levers that you have: you can reduce expenses or you can increase income, right? That's that's the core kind of foundation of any kind of cash flow management. And ultimately you need to decide where that line is because if anyone imposes that line on you, it's just not gonna feel sustainable and you're gonna end up feeling resentful, right? So a couple of questions that I think will be really helpful to ask yourself in deciding wh- where that line is, is one, when do you wanna pay off the mortgage, right? Figure out what that time frame is, but really importantly, be realistic with yourself about the work involved in getting to that timeline. If it is an aggressive timeline, are you willing to hustle? Are you willing to kind of increase that your income or get those expenses down to kind and of sacrifice. meet that aggressive timeline? Yeah. Mm. And if you're not, that's okay too. Like if you want a kind of slower burn and you want to kind of be like, okay, you know what, I, I don't want to kind of push myself that hard and I want to enjoy my life along the way. That's okay. Like you've got to decide where that is, but Pick a time frame and be realistic with yourself about the work involved to meeting that timeline. The second thing is the number that you really want to focus on is your savings rate, is maximizing your savings rate, which is basically the percentage of your income that you are saving, right? That's the difference between what you're earning and what you're spending. And if you can maximize that, you're going to have a lot more leftover cash to pay the mortgage. Now, the third thing that I want to kind of just mention, and it's not related to paying off the mortgage specifically, but it's something that I see a lot with people who have a property and who want to pay off a mortgage. And I just want to put this in there as something to think about, because I think it's important, is to think a bit more strategically about paying off the mortgage. What I mean by that is what I see a lot is people who buy a house they'll get a mortgage and they'll automatically think, I want to pay this down as fast as possible. That becomes the natural trajectory of how we think. Whereas it may be better off to think, okay, where do I actually want to be 10 years from now? Do I want one house with a mortgage fully paid off or do I want a property portfolio or do I want to just pay the minimum or like pay what I'm paying right now on the mortgage and then funnel some of that extra savings into shares and ETFs so that I can diversify my investment portfolio. So what my ultimate point is, is the payment of your mortgage is a means to an end. And that end is actually wealth creation, right? So if we take a bit of a step back, is the goal paying down your mortgage as fast as possible? Or is there a bigger goal? And that might involve, you know, uh, You might be interested in buying another property in a couple of years, or you might be interested in diversifying your investments outside of property. So just think a little bit more strategically, because there are lots of different ways that paying off the mortgage doesn't have to be the only goal. If it is, then focus on your savings rate, focus on your time frame, focus on increasing your income and reducing your expenses, but also get a little bit creative about how else you can create wealth.
0: Mm. That's great. Sky wants to know how to control her impulse spending. She's yet to find a successful strategy. Now, we did kind of just touch on this before, but do you have anything else you'd like to add on this for Sky?
1: Yeah, so I definitely listened to the first half of the podcast around spending ethos, getting clear on your values. The only other thing that I would say is sometimes what I see with impulse spending and binge spending and overspending is almost an internal conflict where one part of you is trying to restrict your spending and the other part of you is resisting that and what ultimately ends up happening is this battle where you're successful in restricting yourself for so long and then basically you snap you overspend then you feel guilty so you start restricting yourself again and you kind of end up in this cycle of underspending and overspending because you're kind of constantly fighting with yourself so the way to overcome that if that's an issue is ironically is to actually give yourself permission to spend what i mean by that is earmark a really specific amount of money you know within whatever's comfortable for you every single month and say i'm gonna go spend this money on something that feels fun that feel that lights me up that feels good so like not like groceries but like something that's like really fun for you and that's gonna make you happy And that's gonna feed that part of you that is resisting the restriction, right? Because if you're giving yourself permission to spend, then there's nothing to break free from. There's no restriction to break free from. If you're constantly depriving yourself, constantly restricting, that's when a lot of people just kind of snap every month and they're they're just like, whatever, I don't care. I just want it, right? But if you're giving yourself that permission every month to be like, hey, I've got 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever's comfortable, to spend go all out and no regrets then you're you're gonna have a healthier relationship with spending and you are you're you're much less likely to hit that point where you just kind of snap and break break loose so that's one way to also kind of manage binge spending Mm.
0: great advice for both of those questions thank you very much um could you explain a little bit more with uh, how your business that you've set up helps people achieve financial um, stability and whether or not you have a success story you could share with
1: us today? Yeah, so you know, um, I started Good Smart a few years ago and the core objective really was, you know I saw that financial advice was really expensive. and so I wanted to create a more affordable option. I basically thought, Hey, if you can't afford a personal trainer, you should still be able to go to a group fitness class, right? And so, what was the group fitness class equivalent for finance? And so I started working with financial professionals to pull together a DIY program. And that's what we call um, the the Mastering Money program now, which has um, it's an online program which has eight modules. It covers everything from mindset to budgeting and insurance and investing and superannuation and tax. So the objective is to cover all the foundations so that you can kind of set yourself up with the core foundations of finance. And so we spent a lot of time working with financial professionals to kind of make sure that it was super practical and it was like really based off what they do with their clients and just in a more affordable DIY fashion. And so that's the program that we we run, we've had like hundreds of students go through the program. Um, And I wanna share, I guess, the story that was actually on Yahoo Finance just earlier this week uh, with Sarah. So she she did the program a couple of years ago now and when she started, she was overspending. She had no control over her money. She was in a little bit of debt and she had less than a thousand dollars to her name, all up, like no super, no nothing. She just had no money. And she really hit rock bottom, I think, when uh, she had a surgery that she couldn't afford. She couldn't even take out a loan to cover the bills for the surgery she had to borrow from her mum. And she, that was her rock bottom. And she was like, I just, something has to change. And, you know, she she did the program, she got the skills, and she really came from a family where money wasn't talked about. She didn't learn those skills from her, from her environment growing up. And so it was really for her the first time that she'd, been given a step-by-step kind of like this is how money works this is how to like save this is how to set up your bank accounts this is how to start investing this is how to like manage your super and she just like put that I think the thing that she did really well was she just put that stuff into action little by little and just made little but really consistent changes over time and you know within six months she'd paid off the five thousand dollars of debt she was debt-free she started saving. Uh, within about, I think it was 15 months, she had grown her net worth to about $50,000. And it's been about two and a half years now, and she's grown her net worth to $80,000. But I think, you know, more than that, like, she's she's just a different person. Like, she's so much more confident. She like She's a confident investor now. Like, before investing was something that she was like, she knew nothing about. She was like, it's for old rich white people. I can't do this. This is too complicated. Now she loves investing. She loves saving. She loves talking to her friends and her family about money. And, I th- and now she's like working towards financial independence, which is where you know your assets generate enough income so that you basically can retire or be work optional. Um, and that was like an option that she just never even knew existed before. So like her whole, I think uh, the purpose behind her work and her life and her relationship with money has completely changed. And she's gone from this person who really had quite, I think, an unhealthy relationship with money to feeling really a lot more happy and wholesome and, you know, being able to enjoy her relationship with money a lot more. And I think the thing that, she did really well was she didn't deprive herself. Like even in that time that she was saving, she, you know, took a trip back home to Europe where she's from Spain. She, she had a wedding. She she really still finds ways to enjoy herself on that journey. But um, it was finding
0: that healthy balance that helped her yeah. in that way. And also it's so fascinating. It's, I mean, it's a whole nother conversation for another time in terms of growing your wealth and utilising the, things out there such as property or shares um, to help grow your wealth. And I think maybe that can be a part two one day, but um, it's so fantastic to hear that people can go from being in a situation where they aren't financially stable and that they've got debt to being in a position where they have, you know, assets up to $80,000. I think so amazing and that's so fantastic that by becoming more financially literate that you can kind of achieve that.
1: A thousand percent. And I think the, a couple of the key takeaways I really want to leave with the audience around this story is, you know, she, she does not consider herself like a maths or a numbers person. So it's like, you don't need to be, you don't need any financial background. You don't need a degree. You don't need like some maths ability to get your money situation working for you. And it can, like, if you just kind of make these small but consistent changes, you can, you'll be really surprised at how quickly your situation can transform. But it's really just getting that journey started and being committed to seeing it through.
0: Mm, that's fantastic. So on this, do you have your best piece of money advice that you've ever been
1: given that you're willing to share with us? Yeah. So I think it's not something, it's interesting. Like I've been doing so much and it's really hard to pick just one, but I think the one that's coming to mind is, and it's not like something that was verbatim word for word said to me, or like I can't think of a phrase that one person said to me, but it's something that I think I've seen in a lot of people and a lot of people have shared with me is that really financially successful people often spend money on things that will improve their quality of life and not just like stuff or experiences, but like things that are going to make them better personally or professionally their own development, whether that is in the arena of health or career or business, like they don't hesitate to invest in learning or coaching or mentorship and I think that's really changed the way that I think about spending money in the last 10 years. Like, you know, I think when when I was much younger, like when I was in my 20s, the idea of spending money on more education, like I just did five and a half years at university. I was like, I'm done, right? But it's really this this kind of continual growth mindset of it, the, the, the learning, the professional development, the personal development never really stops. And that's the stuff that has a huge return on spending. So that's the, that's a phrase that I think of now is what? How do I maximize my return on spending? How do I spend in a way that I get the maximum value for this? And one area that I've noticed a lot of financially successful people spend a lot of money on is uh, their own personal development. So that's something that I've really taken to heart, and I think over the last five six years, I've spent, um, I've intentionally started to spend more money on things, whether it's personal or professional development um, and continual learning and started to really hone in on how do I maximise my return on spending. Mm,
0: that's fantastic. And do you have a motto or quote when it comes to money that you want to share with us that you really like?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think there are, you know, I think I'm going to go back to rich dad, poor dad because I think that was where it kind of all started for me in a way. Um, And I think there's some really great quotes from there. It's a book I highly recommend everyone read. Um, But just the concept of understanding the difference between money and wealth and how do you convert money into wealth by investing in assets. I think if that is a concept that people can understand, it can be really game changing for you.
0: I think I'm going to have to go buy this book because I'm pretty sure this is the second time someone's recommended it on the podcast. So
1: <laughs> I think I need to actually go read it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, de- it's, it's a really easy read as well. And he does it in a really beautiful storytelling way. So it's not technical and dry. So yeah, it's definitely something you can do over a weekend.
0: Well, lastly, before we say goodbye, I've so enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we could keep talking for a really long time. But shameless plug, please tell us where we can follow you and learn more about you and where we can get some information about Skilled Smart.
1: Yeah, so uh, there's a little gift that I have for the audience where you can access um, on skilledsmart.com.au forward slash gift which is a PDF um, ebook on five money mistakes that I've seen cost people a lot of money. So how to avoid those. And then you can also follow us on um, Instagram just at skilled smart. That's fantastic. I'm going to put all the links to
0: those in the show notes below. So if you want to utilize that incredible ebook, um, please go check that out. Otherwise pretty. Thank you so much. I, I actually can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your time with us this morning. This has been so educational and has kind of made me really excited about going and looking at my finances more. Like I, when you feel like you are financially in control of things, I feel like there's still so much more you could do. I'm like, oh, I think I'm getting too complacent. I need to go and look into it a little bit more and see where I can generate more wealth. So I'm just, um, makes me really excited speaking to people like you who are doing such good things and helping so many people out there. So thank you.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. Look, I I so enjoyed our conversation. You had some great questions that I've never been asked before. So hopefully your audience got a lot of value out of it. And yeah, it was such a fun conversation.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Wow. I hope you enjoyed it. I release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe or follow and tune in next week. Otherwise, in the meantime, you better come join us on Instagram at Podcast underscore for more updates. Lastly, a friendly reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a professional first. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.